the, the bottom, bottom line, line with, with Brad, Brad Taylor. Taylor on ESPN 1300 AM and 92.5 FM. ESPN Sports Radio 1300 and 92.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring it all together. Because that's the bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 92.5. At 1,300. I was told reverse to order that. I'm sure I'll mess that up a million times. But, hey, once one out of one so far. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on this college football Saturday. Yep, the rest of the calendar year, there will be college football every single Saturday. Fans and gamblers everywhere unite in rejoicing for that one. And a shout-out to uh, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, Harley-Davidson down by the road. Sorry I beat you here this morning. Got my spot back. Sorry about your luck. Coming up on today's show, around 9.30 or so, our friend Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast. He will join us to talk all things sports. Week zero, that's what they're calling it. Week zero of college football, Major League Baseball, NFL. I think he has some MMA stuff for us. We shall see. His MMA picks have been straight money all spring and summer, so we look forward to that. And, of course, it wouldn't be a college football Saturday without the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. All that and much, much more coming up on this week's Saturday edition of The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor. As always, we thank you so much for listening. But first... The 1984 BYU football team. The Reds won again last night, 6 to nothing over the Marlins. Now have a two-game lead over the fading fast Padres for the final wild-card spot in the National League. Of course, the Reds are 10-and-a-half games behind the Dodgers for the first wild-card spot in the National League. So if the season ended today, the Reds would travel to L.A. and face the Dodgers in the wild card game, how sick are the Dodgers right now? If the Dodgers have a 10.5 game lead over the Reds for the first wild card, they probably wouldn't even pitch the current favorite for the National League Cy Young, Lexington's own Walker Bueller, who is right now the favorite out in the desert to win the Cy Young. He probably wouldn't even pitch in the wild card game, a one and done game. It would probably be three times Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer. That's how stacked this team is right now. I still think they overtake the Giants for that division, and the Reds will face probably Kevin Gossman in San Francisco. And who would start for the Reds in that game? Eh, I guess it would have to be Wade Miley, right? But that's down the line. We can't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough to worry about itself. And this morning, the desert tells us that the Reds have a 78% chance of making the playoffs. Something we didn't think on this show would happen just as recently as a month ago. It's amazing how things changed so quickly in this race. Just a couple of weeks ago, that number was way below 50%. Now, it appears to be a lock. But the Reds have benefited from something recently that the Padres don't have the luxury of experiencing for themselves. And it's something we learned way back in the good old days of 1984 and Brigham Young football. On this opening day of college football season, we hearken back to the good old days, allegedly, 
1984. In 1984, it's a much different world, obviously. So many people always refer to them as the good old days. They were simpler, better times. I always disagree with that. Why would we want to go back to those days? No smartphones, no internet, nothing like that. Biggest thing we had back then was cable TV. Why do we want to go back there? There were only three things better in the 80s than there are today. Three things and three things only. And in fact, I defy you to add or subtract from this list because the only things that were better then than they are today, college basketball, music, professional wrestling. That's it. Everything else, everything you can think of, it's better today than it was in the 80s. And college football is definitely not one of those three. But college football was still in prehistoric times back in 1984, especially compared to today. There was no college football playoff. All these big bowl games were all predetermined by conference affiliations and the smaller ones by just which schools can bring the most fans and money to their towns. And if you go back in time to those days, the biggest programs in America, Alabama, Oklahoma, they were running wishbone offenses and throwing the ball maybe four, five, six times a game. No resemblance to the high-powered passing offenses and hurry-up offenses that those two programs have today. But in 1984, BYU went 13-0 and won the national championship of college football. In fact, BYU began that season unranked. Nobody gave them any chance. But BYU at that point was a college football quarterback factory. They had just graduated guys named Jim McMahon and Steve Young. Jim McMahon won a Super Bowl for the Bears in 1985, that infamous team, considered one of the best ever. And Steve Young won a Super Bowl for the 49ers in 1994. And I could sit here and debate that not only is Steve Young one of the most underrated players in NFL history, but he was a better player than his teammate for several years, Joe Montana. Not only are Young's numbers better, but Montana didn't have to deal with that early 90s Dallas Cowboys dynasty that the Vikings gifted them in that Herschel Walker trade, but that's another topic for another day. This 1984 BYU football team was led by a quarterback named Robbie Bosco. You've probably never heard of him. And if you weren't alive in the 80s, I guarantee you you haven't heard of him. But Robbie Bosco is a guy who never threw a pass in the NFL, yet won a national championship at BYU in 1984. But how did they really win that championship that year? The biggest advantage BYU had over everyone else that competed for a championship that season is they played a weak schedule. And when I say weak, we're talking Sisters of the Poor week. Of their 13 games played that season, only three of them were on television. That's how lowly these games were. Two of them were on ESPN. One was on a local CBS station in Salt Lake City when they played Utah. All the other ones, uh, better hope somebody's there with a camera so you can get some highlights. Their week one opponent that year was Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was ranked number three in the nation preseason. The same Pittsburgh team that had just lost Dan Marino to the NFL, and they were ranked number three without him. Uh huh. Brilliant job by the AP pollsters, who turned out to look like morons when Pittsburgh finished that season three seven and one. And that was the only ranked team BYU played all season. 
a team that finished with three wins. Even in their bowl game that year, BYU somehow got to play Michigan. Oh, Michigan, a big powerhouse. Uh-huh. Michigan that season was 6-5 and five going into that bowl game. Why? Because the champion of the mighty WAC conference back then was tied into the Holiday Bowl. And that was not one of the big New Year's Day's big bowl games. That game was played 11 days before New Year's Day that day, that year, on December 21st, in one of the first bowl games played that season. And in that game, BYU defeated Michigan, a 6-5 and team, 24-17 to in the 1984 Holiday Bowl to finish their season undefeated. The combined record of all 13 opponents for BYU that season was 61-85-3. Yes, kids, we had tie games in college football back in 1984. That's a winning percentage of 40.9%. So while all the big power teams played bowl games after BYU, none of them mattered because BYU had milked a cupcake schedule to an undefeated record and a national championship. And yes, they also benefited from the fact that every other team in the nation couldn't win games either. In fact, there was only one other Division I team that season that finished with only one loss. That was Washington, 11-1. They finished second in the final AP poll. But BYU got away with playing a very weak conference schedule, one ranked team that pulled a total choke job, and a bowl game against a team that finished 6-6. Six and six. In other words, it was all about the schedule. More about who you played, not how talented you were. And scheduling importance like that wasn't with just BYU back in 1984. Look no further than your beloved Kentucky Wildcats of 1984 for further proof of schedule was everything back then. In 1984, Kentucky got off to a 5-0 start that season, beating up on five cupcakes who eventually finished with a combined record of 18-36. But that didn't matter to AP voters because when Kentucky was 5-0 beating up on those cupcakes, they were ranked 16th in the nation, just ahead of Florida. Ironically enough, that was 4-1-1, There's another tie game at the same time. I remember that season when I was a kid. And, of course, the Big Blue Nation fired up after that start, that 5-0 start, just like they would be today. The only catch was back then the schedule turned up the heat after that 5-0 start. LSU, Georgia, Florida all took down Kentucky. But people will remember Kentucky finishing that season 9-3 with a win over Tennessee in Knoxville and a bowl win. And in fact, that win at Tennessee and Knoxville in 1984 was not matched until this past season, 36 years later. But back then, college football was just as much about scheduling as it was recruiting the best players. To this day, BYU is still the last non-Power 5 team to win a national championship in football. All the things we see today were basically reaction to the humiliation the NCAA felt from seeing BYU win in 1984. And you'll never see anything like that again. A non-Power 5 team playing a total cupcake schedule could never in a million years win a national championship today. 
Just look at last year. Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, even BYU was competing. They had no chance, even if they ran the table. And BYU was a decent team back in the 80s, but they weren't the best. They were far from it. In 1990, Ty Detmer won a Heisman Trophy for BYU that he basically won on the opening day that season when BYU took down the mighty Miami Hurricanes in a home game on national TV opening night. But BYU football never got close to those 1984 heights again. The closest they got was last year when they went 11-1 in a COVID season where they literally took on anyone who would face them. But even if they'd run the table last year, they never have made the college football playoff. The world has changed, and their schedule isn't Power 5 worthy. It's Cupcake City. And that brings us to this year's Reds. The Reds currently with a two-game advantage for the National League wild card, but they have one huge advantage over their nearest competition, the Padres. The schedule. The Padres sit at a very nice 69-61 and this morning, 32 games remaining. Exactly half of those 32 games, 16 of them, are against the two best teams in Major League Baseball. Six against the Dodgers, the second best team in the league, and 10 big games against the Giants, the very best team in Major League Baseball. Would you like to have that schedule with your Padres, or would you like to be playing the Rockies and the Diamondbacks every night? Uh Uh-huh. I think I would take the latter. The average winning percentage of the teams left on the Padres' schedule is 570. The team in Major League Baseball right now with a win percentage closest to 570 is the White Sox, who own a 10-game lead in the American League Central. So the Padres are basically every night playing a team equivalent to the White Sox. Of course, the Padres own the most difficult remaining schedule in Major League Baseball, and it's not even close. The Reds sitting at 71-59, and 59, also with 32 games left this season. And the remaining teams left on the Reds' schedule have a winning percentage of 459. A team in Major League Baseball with a winning percentage closest to 459 is the Colorado Rockies. And don't forget, the Reds play nine of their final 18 games of the season against the terrible Pittsburgh Pirates, who the Reds are 9-1 and one against in the first 10 matchups this season. So who would you rather play every day the rest of the season? The division-leading White Sox or the hopeless couldn't make the playoffs if they won 30 in a row Rockies? Easy call, right? That's why despite having only a two-game lead for the wild card, the desert says the Reds have a 78% chance of finishing this thing off and making the playoffs, while the Padres are at 16%. Simple math. And the schedule. Is Cincinnati a better team than San Diego? Probably not. Would you rather have Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell when they're on? I probably would. I'd rather have those guys than four guys, four best guys for the Reds. Not named Eugenio Suarez, of course. But this year, it helps when you don't have to face the best two teams in Major League Baseball 19 times each. Last night in Miami, the Reds kept their winning streak going with a 6 to nothing win over the low-leaf, brain-dead Fatum and money-line parlay Marlins. Wade Miley goes seven shutout innings, cementing himself as the best Reds starting pitcher this season. Who had that before the year started? We did not. Mike Moustakis and Tyler Naquin 
hit a home run last night. Who had Tyler Naquin with 19 home runs this year? We did not. The Reds are now 5-0 and against the Marlins this year, and that's what the Reds have done this season that they haven't done in the past. Win the games that they are supposed to win out in the desert. The Reds are 5-0 and against the Marlins, 9-1 and against the Pirates. That's 14-1. and Take those two teams out of the Reds' schedule, the Reds are one game under 500 for the season. So yes, the schedule means a lot, whether it's college football or Major League Baseball. And that brings us to today in a game you can hear right here at 540 this afternoon on ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. It's game two of this three-game titanic battle between the Reds and Marlins. It's a pitching rematch of last Sunday's game that we went over on this show between these two pitchers. Vladimir Gutierrez for the Reds, 9-4, and 3.68 ERA. Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins, 7-12, but a 3.35 ERA. Gutierrez continues to be one of the most valuable players this season for the Reds. Although being called up on May 28, Gutierrez is 6th on the Reds in war, win above replacement, and his ERA plus is 130, meaning he's 30% better than the average pitcher. And after having an ERA of 4.97 and being in danger of being sent back to AAA in late July, Gutierrez has been outstanding in his last six starts, going 5-1 with a 1.86 ERA. That includes only allowing four base runners and one run last Sunday in a win against these same Marlins. No Reds pitcher has made you more of a profit out in the desert than Gutierrez this season. The Reds are 10-6 when Gutierrez starts. And the Reds have been an underdog in 10 of those 16 starts, going 7-3 and three in those 10 games when the desert says the Reds should lose. That is why Gutierrez has turned you a 39.6% return on investment in the desert. Very impressive. In other words, $1 blindly on Vladimir Gutierrez every game he pitches would have made you a $6.34 profit this season. And the Reds are a very small road favorite today. A spot where the Reds are 13-8 and eight this season. Return on investment, 11.5%. So all good signs for the Reds today. But Sandy Alcantara goes for the Marlins. The desert always shows a lot of respect for Alcantara as he is one of the smallest home underdogs in the, on the board today and where the opponent is a 18 games better than the Marlins. It's a lot of respect that this game is so close out in the desert. Alcantara, 7-12, 3.35 ERA, ERA+. Plus. 121. On August 6th, Alcantara allowed 10 runs in Coors Field at Colorado. It happens. It happens to the best pitchers. Just ask Luis Castillo and Wade Miley. Happened to them too. But since then, Alcantara has had three starts, and he went 22 innings in those three starts with an ERA of 1.23. He must have won all three of those, right? Wrong. He went one and two. Further proof of how the Marlins have gotten a roll of stamps and mailed in the season. And the Marlins are 10-16 and 16 when Alcantara starts on the season. Return on investment, negative 23.3%. Horrible. And when the Marlins are a home dog this season, which they are today, home underdog, they're 13-19. and 19. The Reds are a very small, minus 115 favorite right now in this one. Total of 7.5. Just like last Sunday, it's more of a respect shown for Alcantara and a slight disrespect for Gutierrez, which probably shouldn't be the case at this point. But our numbers also put this game as a toss-up. With the Marlins quite possibly being in the better spot tonight, mainly due 
to Alcantara's history. If the Marlins remain an underdog tonight, eh, we'd take them as crazy as it sounds, but it's not something you want to put the kids' college fund on. College fund on. As far as the real play in this game for us, we'd actually go over the four the first five innings if we had to play it. But if we learned anything from the BYU football team that won a national championship in 1984, it's not always about who the better team is. Sometimes it's just about who you play. And with 32 games left to play, the red schedule is a huge advantage on their competition, the Padres. BYU took advantage of it, and the Reds better if they want to make the playoffs. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. The bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. 859-381-1313. If you'd like to call and join in on the conversation, you can email the show anytime. Bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at BottomlineLex. Coming up after the break, it's why you're here today. Week zero of college football. And it's the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio. Our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake's Cigar Bar. That's all next right here on ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. ESPN Radio 1300. See, I did it. ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. Well, it only took one, t- one segment for me to mess that one up. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Who cares about any of this other stuff? Why are you talking baseball? It's week zero of college football, and it's time for the most profitable segment of Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do we celebrate cashing a ticket in the desert? We hope to cash a few today by lining up a Stogie from Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing. As they say at Jake's, smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us. Check them out online, jakescigarbar.com. Tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line set you, and you'll get the VIP treatment, jakescigarbar.com. There are four college football games on the board today out in the desert in what we're calling Week Zero in advance of next week's opening Week One. Our favorite game today, Nebraska, the very first game in college football this season. Nebraska, a seven-point favorite at Illinois. Total on this one, 53. Right now, 60% of the money on Illinois, 60% 60% of the money on the over in this one. And this Week 0 game features a, a Big Ten conference matchup to start the season. You don't see that often, especially in Power 5s, a conference matchup to start the season. Last year, Illinois went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and won 41-23 as a 17-point underdog. But this year, Illinois has a new coach, Brett Bielema. Remember him? Uh, you got to got an ulcer every time you saw him uh, playing in Arkansas. But we do actually think he's an upgrade over their old coach, Levy Smith. But that's not saying much. What we like about this Illinois team is experience. 18 returning starters. They also have 21 seniors on scholarship. That's the most in all of Power 5. Their quarterback is Brandon Peters. A lot of people think he's going to get drafted in the NFL. He's 6'5 and 220. Well, then how come he transferred in from Michigan? We'll find out today. Illinois has a solid uh, running back group that uh, they're going to be banking on today. The running game. On the other side, Nebraska. Scott Frost, very underwhelming since uh, running the table down in Central Florida. He is down 12-20 straight up at Nebraska. And there's been some recent off-field allegations that could lead to some distractions. 
On the field, this should be Nebraska's best team since Frost has been the coach. They have 17 returning starters, but just remember this year, a lot of teams are going to have a lot of returning starters because of the COVID and the new rules for that this year. But their quarterback, Adrian Martinez, is back for what seems like his 75th year as a starting quarterback at Nebraska. But of course, he's uh, lost 15 fumbles in his career and has a 14-12 to touchdown-to-interception ratio the past two years. This line came out couple of months ago, actually, at a lot of these week line, week one lines, or week zero lines, came out a couple of months ago. When it came out, Nebraska was an 11.5-point favorite in late May, and this line is now down to Nebraska as a 7-point favorite. Scott Frost, a huge bust in Nebraska so far, not only straight up, but against the spread, 13-17-1 against the number. Of course, he calls his own plays. Should he give that up? Eh, based on the results, he should. But he's 2-3 as a road favorite, which he is today. Illinois with Brett Bielema, you remember him. Good at Wisconsin, mysteriously left to go to Arkansas, uh, where he never could quite get over the hump, but it's kind of hard at Arkansas to do that. Spent the last three seasons in the the NFL as an assistant, but Bielema, his teams were 10-8 when they were a home underdog when he was at Wisconsin and Arkansas, but this is Illinois. And the Illinois fighting Illini, they have the home field and a great crowd, but only when they're winning. Because as Lovey Smith experienced, they'll turn on you quickly when you're losing. But Illinois is the play for us here today, and we have a trend. These opening game underdogs where the line changes, and we talked about how this line went from Nebraska minus 11.5 now to Nebraska minus 7 in this one. When you have a line change and you've got a home dog that it goes in favor of, in other words, the line goes toward them, in the last 15 years, that hits 66.7%. 70 and 35. Return on investment, 29.8%. So there you go. That's a trend telling us when you see a spot like this, conference game, got the home team, getting the number in their favor, big line move, go with that home team. That's the underdog. Our numbers say this game is a toss-up, and you're going to give us seven? I'll bite. Give us Illinois getting the touchdown today against Nebraska. That's game number one. That's the first game of the college football season. And on this show, we don't have a favorite team. When people ask me who my favorite team is, I always say it's whoever I pick to win that night. I could be with one team one day, be against that same team the next day, not blink an eye. But if I had to pick my favorite college football team, it probably would be Hawaii. Why? How else are you going to make up for your losses throughout the day? How else are you going to let your winnings ride late night? By getting down on that late night Hawaii game that starts after all the other games are done and ends in the middle of the night, Closer to morning, when you've passed out on too much pizza and Bud Light all night long. But today, Hawaii hosts UCLA, starts at 3.30 Eastern time. Why? Why would you do that? Why don't you start late night for the rest of us? Can't you at least start at 10 o'clock? Well, anyway, UCLA will be hosting LSU next week. So do you think Chip Kelly, whose uh, job might be on the line this year, you think he's going to throw out all his tricks and trades against Hawaii this week? Uh, no, he's going to save some of those bullets for LSU. This line started with UCLA at minus 9. Right now, UCLA is minus 18 in this game. That's a huge line change. Chip Kelly at UCLA, 10-21 and 21 straight up. But the Bruins only lost... Uh, by four games, by a total of 15 points last year. So it's a little better than it looks. And their quarterback returns for his fourth year at UCLA. 
But we like the under here. Hawaii's Gaves averaged 53.8 points last year. UCLA's averaged 66.1. And Hawaii's going to run a little bit faster tempo this year. But it's been overcompensated out in the desert if you look at us. These two teams on defense, 21 out of 22 starters return. We don't think it'll be as bad of a total as they're making it out to be out in the desert. LSU on deck for UCLA. We don't think UCLA pushes the pace here. 85% of the public money on the over in this one. We love going against that, fading the public here. We'll go under the total in UCLA and Hawaii. There's some other games today. Fresno State, minus 27.5 over UConn. UConn didn't even play last season. How can we judge them? And UTEP, minus 10 over New Mexico State. Why do we mention New Mexico State? Because their coach used to be a former quarterback in Kentucky, Doug Martin. They will be coming to Lexington to play this year. And Doug Martin is the worst coach in America against the spread. This is his New Mexico State team. The Desert says they'll win one and a half games this season. Uh-huh. I don't care if they are a 10-point underdog. I'm not taking them today. Oh, by the way, we're still taking these NFL preseason games. We gave you two out of two winners last weekend. All these experts tell you, oh, you got to be crazy to bet preseason. Okay, smarty pants. Sit on your high horse while we're cashing these tickets. More money for us. Thank you. Again, uh, why, do the, why does the desert place limits on these preseason games? And they don't for regular season games. Uh-huh. Think about that for a minute. When we started on these NFL preseason games with our little manifesto a few weeks back, do you know who we, what we said? The very first tip we said, always look to take the Ravens. Well, they're 2-0 straight up. They're 2-0 against the spread this preseason. And now, a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Washington. Hail to the football team tonight. Don Harbaugh has made it clear they're going for the 20th preseason win in a row tonight, which would be a record. Does Washington care? Not nearly as much as Baltimore. Lay the three-and-a-half. Take the Ravens again tonight. Under Harbaugh, the Ravens hit 76% straight up, 70% against the spread. It continues tonight. So there's your Mac Daddy Stogie picks for today's Week Zero college football. Give us Illinois getting seven and home against Nebraska. Go under 67 and a half in UCLA and our favorite Hawaii. And it's not too late to get on the Ravens preseason bonanza. You can take those bad boys to the desert and Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing and smoke them. ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. The bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective coming up after the break. Our friend Vince Stover from the Sports Stove Podcast will join us. To talk all things sports, that's next, right here on ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. See, I did it again. It's 92.5, 1300. I, that's two out of three I've already messed up. Bottom line, sports talk from a handicapping perspective, and to save us from this uh, desolate trouble here, is our next guest. He is the host of the Sports Stove Podcast. He's our good friend, Vince Stover. Vince, how you doing today, buddy? As far as football goes, Week zero, we're starting up today. Before we get to the games today, uh, your uh, your thoughts on the Will Levis banana video, and has that changed your mind on how great a quarterback he is now? I have zero opinions on banana eating <laughs> and and its and its ties to college football. So, uh, nope, I don't change either any direction when it comes to that. Okay, well, that's good to know because I mean, apparently, everybody around here has seen the video of him eating the brown banana and then him getting on his knees and throwing it through the goalpost from the 50-yard line. I saw Kyle Bowler do that 20 years ago for the Ravens. Didn't help him at all either. Yeah, he was out of the league quick himself. Are there any football games? We've got college football today. Any games that you like yeah. today on the board? Well, you know, I heard you talking about Illinois and Nebraska. Um, I like 
under on that one. That's at 52 and a half, I think. Um, I, I like the under. I Nebraska's going to win the game, and I think they're going to cover, actually, mm. too, with the touchdown. If you look at Nebraska, last year they had the number two running offense, rushing offense, in the Big Ten. So they're, they're stacked when it comes to the run game. We've got no quarterback controversy this year. Last year they were kind of going between two quarterbacks. Uh, even though I don't love Adrian Martinez, um, you know, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You're going to play a little bit more free as well. They, they struggle. Illinois, if you look at Illinois last year, uh, opposing quarterbacks had their career day against Illinois. So, uh, even though Bielema's there, he can't turn it around in one off season. So I think Illinois is going to look really, really ugly. Um, I've got Illinois going under their win total this year. Nebraska is not going to be great. I've got them only at four wins this year, but Illinois will be one of those wins. And they probably beat them by, I would say, uh, between 10 and 13 points. ESPN Radio 92.5 and 1300. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective, along with our friend Vince Stover from the Sports Stove Podcast. So you're going to Riverside me. You're going to take Nebraska minus seven while we're taking Illinois plus the seven. Huh? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, and the under. And the under. I, I, I don't disagree with the under in that one. Because when I think Brett Bielema, I don't exactly think high-flying offenses going up and down the field. I think uh, very conservative-style offenses, although at Wisconsin he tried to light it up. but uh, just, You know Wisconsin. You saw him at Wisconsin. You knew what he was all about. Are there any other uh, college football games this week or maybe week one next week that are catching your eye? Georgia and Clemson playing next week. What do you, you think about that game? I think Clemson is, is probably the best team in the country this year. And uh, Georgia, I think Georgia's going to be really good. And so I, I think Clemson wins that game. But Georgia's the team. It all comes down to coaching for Georgia. It's it's not the players. The players are there. The talent is there. And uh, if they have failure, it's going to be within the coaching. Kirby Smart, is, he's shown time and time again, he just he's not the best decision maker out there. And uh, so at the end of the day, if this team, Georgia team, goes with one loss all season up until the SEC championship game, uh, that'll be a huge success for them. But Clemson, they're just too good this year. I I think they're far and above the best team out there this season. Clemson, three, three-and-a-half-point favorite, depending on where you shop. Are you telling me Clemson should be the pick to take in that one? Yeah, I mean, I think the game's going to be close. I think Georgia has their most talented team they've ever had, at least, you know, in the recent era. Um, this team is phenomenally stacked. Great quarterback. Um yeah, so, I mean, I think the game's going to be close, but Clemson ultimately, in my opinion, is just better. You talk about Georgia making the wrong decisions. They they had a shot at a national championship last year. They had a walk-on playing quarterback last year while Justin Fields, who was on their roster, was playing at Ohio State. They ran him out of town. That's how, That shows you the bad decision-making, especially a quarterback. Well, hey, hang on a sec. Let's, let's give a little bit of credit here, okay? <laughs> because Justin Fields, he, uh, you know, who did Ohio State kick off their team or run off their team so that Justin Fields could play, <laughs> right? So it's, it is what it is. Quarterbacks are quarterbacks. All of the quarterbacks involved in that situation, both at Georgia and at Ohio State, were good quarterbacks. Now, was Justin Fields better? Maybe. But Georgia didn't have a bad season. You know, I mean, we got to be a little bit careful about how harsh are on these situations because at the end of the day, Georgia, again, their failures were not quarterback failures in those years. Uh, it was still coaching failures. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't think it was as bad a decision as everybody's trying to make it out to be. 
Oh, it was last year. I will disagree on that one for a long time. George is running a, a walk-on quarterback out there. He was like 5'10". And you got Justin Fields, first-round draft pick, most valuable player in college football, potentially. Eh, that but was Fields George. didn't leave. Fields didn't leave because of him. He left the year before because of another quarterback situation. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and he's a Georgia kid, too. So the fact that yeah. they got rid of him for that, that's thats even more so. We can talk about that a long time. This isn't Atlanta Sports Talk Radio. This is uh, Lexington. ESPN Radio, 92.5 at 1300. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast. Uh, let's go to the NFL for a minute. The Bengals, Jamar Chase. Is he going to be like this during the regular season, or is he going to turn things around? He'll turn things around. Uh, the Bengals have a really good wide receiver grouping with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins there also. And so the pressure's not going to be on Chase in the regular season, I don't think, at least early on, because they can trust Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to carry the load for them, which will allow Jamar Chase to work his way in. He, he'll, he'll start catching the ball. Things will come back naturally. you got to remember, Chase didn't play football at all last year. So he's, you know, he's rusty, <laughs> and, uh, and he's working his way back. He'll be fine. I think the Bengals will be fine this year as well. Um, this is a big year for them, obviously. Zach Taylor, the head coach, he's on the hot seat. If they don't show uh-huh. massive improvement moving forward, then you know they're going to get rid of him. I don't think he's a bad coach. I just think he was in a tough situation. And so I think if they're patient with him like they were with Marv Lewis, I think there's a chance that he can succeed in Cincinnati. But I don't know if they'll be that patient this time around. Well, they've won, what, five games in two years? And now the desert says they're going to win six and a half this year? You really want a chance to go over six and a half for that one, for the Bengals? 100%, yes. Ooh, there you go. He's throwing a gauntlet out there. I will riverside <laughs> you on that one as well, Vince Stover. I'm going to say under. Yeah. Uh, Zach Taylor has proven nothing to me. He's won five games in two years. Oh, by the way, he didn't change any of his coaches this year. Everything's the same. Is Joe Burrow that much no, better? Not- not everything's the same, Brad. The team is different. They bring in Riley Reef to help on the offensive line. They bring in pieces on the on offense through the draft, both on offensive line and receiver. They add some great defenders, Shadobia Woozy, Mike Hilton as defensive backs, Eli Apple comes in, Trey Hendrickson on the defensive line. They lost Carl Lewis, but he's injured now for the season anyhow, so he, they may have lost him anyways. So at the end of the day, I think they've made some good additions. I, I like this team. I think they sh- they should have gone offensive line instead of Jamar Chase. I don't. I know that no. they have a connection. They need well. They need to protect Burrow. Burrow is going to get killed again this year. You think he's going to start seventeen games this year? Brad, who who had the top offensive line last season in the NFL? You might. It's the Green Bay Packers. What uh-huh. first round draft pick was on the Green Bay Packers offensive line? None of them. As a matter of fact, one of their best offensive linemen was a fourth round draft pick. So. There are plenty of pieces out there. It's your scouting and your drafting department have to be able to find the right guys to plug in the place. Jamar Chase, best receiver in the draft. You got to take him there. Uh, you got long term security with him and T. Higgins there. That's going to help. And they're able to find offensive line help later on and through free agency. Bengals are an eight win team this year. Um, and they'll continue to rise. Oh, Vince, we're going to disagree on that one for a long time. ESPN <laughs> Radio. 92.5 and 1,300. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and our good friend Vince Stover, the Sports Stove Podcast. Uh, do you think we're crazy for putting a few investments on these preseason games like we do? Crazy uh, might be the wrong term. Degenerate, maybe. But, but Again, the cheap shot, Stover. Enough of those. <laughs> hey, if you're winning, you're winning, right? 
uh, hey, exactly. A win is a win. Doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the, they cash, they still cash out in the desert. Uh, is there anything else in this preseason that's caught your eye? Because we're always talking about take the Ravens. They've won 19 in a row. We're always talking about take the Ravens in these preseason games. Anything kind of caught your eye surprisingly well? Not in the terms of a disappointment like uh, Jamar Chase and the Bengals, but maybe somebody who surprised you on the good side. I don't know if surprise is the right word. I mean, the rookie quarterbacks really have looked well uh, here in the preseason. They, you know, Justin Fields, who I thought was far and above the number two quarterback in the draft, um, he's looked great. They're still going to start Dalton, which is not a surprise either because uh, Matt Nagy's getting fired at the end of the season. But, uh, you know, the rookie quarterbacks have been a pleasant uh, surprise, I guess you can say, as they've looked all pretty solid here to start off. Um, which brings me to a point that I've been shouting for two months now. Trey Lance, I still think he's starting week one in San Francisco. Really? You think he's going to get the week one call over Garoppolo? I think so. I think, you know, San Francisco, they've they've never been fully committed to Jimmy Garoppolo. Now they go out and get a guy. They trade up to get a guy in the draft. Um, the the talent is there. There's some questions, you know, about the, the – competition that he's faced but at the end of the day that that offensive system is just set up for a a quarterback to succeed and Garoppolo you know he succeeded I mean they took the team to the Super Bowl but has he really gone done well there not necessarily so I think that's just a coaching staff that says this is our guy we drafted him on purpose let's get him out there and win some games with him so I I still think Trey Lance is the week one starter in San Francisco ESPN Radio, 92.5, 1300. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast. A couple of Bengals questions real quick. I just looked just now while you were talking. Jamar Chase, over-under receiving yards in the desert, 965. Over-under? Ooh, I would go under for the rookie season. I would, too. By the way, week one, Bengals, Vikings in Cincinnati. Vikings, three-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. Road favorite. And that's, you know, that's Kirk Cousins, not exactly somebody who makes you feel good at night. Who would you take in that game? I would take Cincinnati. I, I'm really down on Minnesota this year. I've got them at Everybody uh, under is, yeah. eight and a half wins. Um, they, they've got some really good offensive talent. Um, but, man, their defense is not great. And I don't trust Mike Zimmer either. So, at the end of the day, um, I think Cincinnati's improving. I think Minnesota's declining. And so, I think week one will go Cincinnati. We've had this talk about Zimmer before, you and I, because uh, I, I love Zimmer because he, he covers point spreads. I, you know, out in the desert, hey, he's, he's one of the best. He's up there with Belichick. He's one of the best in the league at covering point spreads. But I do know that it's a big UFC MMA night, and Vince Stover is the man to listen to for winners in the MMA. He has been on fire all spring and summer giving you MMA winners. You want to catch some tickets, listen to what Vince has to say about the MMA tonight. Man, UFC tonight, it's not a whole lot of big names, which typically means it's going to be a great night of fights. So if you're a, a, uh, a noob when it comes to the UFC, watch the fights tonight. There's going to be some good ones. Uh, early on in the card, the prelims are the fights to watch tonight. Uh, smiling Sam Alvey, he's at plus 110. It's been a while since he's got a win, but they've got him uh, fighting someone he can beat tonight. Even though he's the underdog, he's worth the take. So Sam Alvey, he'll be early on in the night. Then the other fight that I would give you, is uh, Darren Stewart. He's at plus 155 fighting against Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby's been really solid as of late, but I like Stewart in this fight there as well. And then if you want a guy to watch that's like way, way down the chart, 
Uh, Gerald Mearshart, he is plus 425 and uh, fighting against Mahmoud Muradov. And so I think it's worth sprinkling a little bit there if you're into that kind of thing. Gerald Mearshart, Sam Alvey, and Darren Stewart. Vince Stover telling us to sprinkle some pizza money on some of these big underdogs. That's what we like to hear. We like when you get those big plus 425 dogs. Vince, tell us about your podcast and where we can find you on social media. Well, this Wednesday we drop our first ever Sports Stove Local Hour podcast. You can find it at the Sports Stove Podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're covering Kentucky football and Eastern Kentucky football. We've interviewed Walt Wells, Eastern Kentucky head coach, and Terry Bowden, Louisiana Monroe head coach, coming into Kroger Field this weekend. And uh, so it's going to be a great episode. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Sports Stove, and I'll keep you up to date on everything going on there as well. He's as good as it gets. He's Vince Stover. He's our friend. Vince, thank you so much for joining us here on The Bottom Line this morning, buddy. Brad, thank you. Anytime. Vince Stover, the Sports Stove Podcast. Make sure to check him out. We will be back right after this, and we'll get you ready for the day and figure out what we've learned here on The Bottom Line here this morning. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1300. And I said it wrong again, 92.5 and 1300. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Did it again. I want to put up a big poster in this room just to put the number. It's 92.5 and 1,300. What am I doing? Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Hey, what did we learn today? Well, like BYU back in 84, the Reds need to take advantage of a very generous schedule the rest of the way, a.k.a. Pirates, 9 out of the last 18. We learned that we like Illinois, although our, our guest we just had disagrees with us. We like Illinois getting 7 at home against Nebraska today. And former Kentucky quarterback Doug Martin, now the coach at New Mexico State, is the worst coach in America at cashing tickets in the desert. Those are things we learned today. Don't forget tomorrow on the bottom line, our arch nemesis here at LM Communications, Dead Air Dennis Dillon of Classic Rock 92.1 will join us to talk Bengals. He tried to tell us the other day that Jamar Chase has been looking great in training camp. Uh, yeah, can you believe that he couldn't say that with a straight face? Uh, tune in for more lies and flawed logic from Dead Air Dennis tomorrow morning here on the bottom line. Don't forget, 540 today, Reds and Marlins from Miami. Reds still a very small favorite in this one. Uh, so uh, we're looking to go over first five in this one, over that four. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. Until the next time, may the winners be yours.